We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I am Justin Graver, and joining me, as always, Justin Mello. Justin, I finally changed my desktop screensaver background from the Titans 2021 schedule to the Titans 2022 schedule just yesterday. Thoughts? Uh, that's official. That means the 2022 season is finally arriving. I bet John Robinson hasn't even done that yet. So clearly, <laughs> you are yeah. on the ball. Wow, thanks. I love being on the ball. Today, we have some stuff to talk about. We got a tiny little bit of news we're going to discuss. And then we are going to do some power rankings because everybody loves power rankings. And it's June. It's not a very active time of year. So we're going to power rank the Titans position groups from weakest to strongest kind of discuss the biggest areas of concern for this team and then leading into the biggest reasons to be confident in this team as we head into the uh, the doldrums of the offseason here. The Titans have OTAs this week, mandatory mini camp next week. So and then they're done until training camp. So not a whole lot going on. But let's start here with the Titans releasing offensive lineman Derwin Gray and claiming Carson Green off of waivers from the Texans a little little back-of-the-roster churning here by John Robinson. We're already seeing it. What are your thoughts on this move? Yeah, Derwin Gray is uh, predominantly an offensive tackle. He's a guy that spent most of last year on the practice squad. He was pretty much with the Titans the whole year last year, uh, but never, I I don't believe, was ever elevated off the practice squad. They had claimed him off waivers, uh, Derwin Gray. I believe off the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think it was. Uh, he also spent some time in Jacksonville, but they claimed him off waivers last late August. He ends up getting cut, stashed on the practice squad, was there all year, signed a reserves uh, future contract in January. But now they've cut him. They obviously liked Carson Green better. This is essentially a like-for-like move because Green is also predominantly an offensive tackle. So they got rid of one offensive tackle. They grabbed another. Green had 40 starts at Texas A&M in college. So a lot of experience predominantly at right tackle. Played a lot of right tackle at Texas A&M. Carson Green did. Did kick inside on occasion. So he does have a little versatility. But he is mostly a right tackle. So again, replacing a tackle with another tackle. One thing I find, you know, semi-interesting here because I, I, I guess you could call me a nerd, a footballing nerd, is um, <laughs> I got to interview Carson Green before the draft last year. He's only he's a rookie, right? So he only sees, or he was a rookie last year. I mean, spent the year on Houston's practice squad, went undrafted, signed with the Texans, but young player still. Uh, when I spoke to him last year, I, I knew that he had met with the Titans throughout the pre-draft process. So obviously, this was a guy they were interested in ahead of the 2021 draft. They ultimately didn't land him. He signed with the Texans. I don't know for sure if he had a UDFA offer from the Titans. Perhaps he took more money in Houston, saw a a clearer pathway to actually playing. It's a bad franchise, right? So maybe, you know, I have a better chance to make Houston's roster, whatever it was. But the point is, Titans obviously kept tabs on him the whole way, right? Interviewed him before the draft, had virtual meetings with him, O-line coach and all that. Uh, And now they have found a way to bring him in, right? Uh, About a year and a half later so. They like him. Um, uh, lots of jokes, of course, former Texans on the staff, but they don't know him all that well, right? He didn't play for Mike Vrabel, and he obviously in Houston. I guess, you know, Tim Kelly will know him pretty well based on uh, in Houston last year. And was it new uh, inside linebackers coach? Was it Bobby King, I believe? 
Uh, his name is like, it was also on that staff last year, again, on the defensive side of the ball, but certainly knows Carson Green as, as a guy that was on the team. So a little bit of familiarity here, had interest in him pre-draft, and now they've got him. So see if he can come in here. Uh, I, I've said this on this show before, they're going to carry at least eight offensive linemen. Right now, they only have seven, I would say, that are, that are shoo-ins. As of now, that eight spot is up for grabs. Uh, and I think it would probably be a guy that can play tackle as things stand, that final roster spot on the O-line. So that could be a Carson Green. It could be a Christian DeLauro. There are a couple, there's a spot there. So we'll see what happens. Green will come in and compete. It's interesting. A lot of uh, Titans fans thought that there was a Texas A&M offensive lineman with the last name Green in play. <laughs> Kenyon Green ends up with the Texans, and now they have too many offensive linemen from A&M named Green, so they cut Carson Green and the Titans get him. <laughs> No, that's it's pretty confusing, right? I know it's pretty <laughs> confusing. So Carson yeah. Green comes over to Tennessee. So the Titans pick up another probably camp body guy who will compete at tackle. Obviously, the tackle position very unsettled, something we will touch on in just a moment. But before we get to our power rankings, a big piece of NFL news dropped a few hours before we are taping this on Monday. Aaron Donald has signed or I guess reworked his contract it's uh, about, a, I guess, it's a three-year deal or a five-year deal or, I don't know, NFL contracts are weird, but it's three years of guaranteed money where Donald will make $31 million per year, the highest non-quarterback contract in NFL history. The Titans have a young, promising, talented, game-wrecking defensive lineman in Jeffrey Simmons who is now entering the final year of his rookie contract. Of course, as a first-round pick, the Titans will have the option to pick up his fifth-year option, which they've already done, right? For, uh, yes. Which the Titans have already done, so they do have him under contract for another year beyond this year. But then, you know, things get interesting. Do they franchise tag him? Do they sign him to a mega extension this year before that franchise or before that fifth-year option fully guaranteed year kicks in? And the big question now is, does Aaron Donald's contract affect what the Titans are going to have to pay Jeffrey Simmons either later this year or early next year? Because they're obviously not going to let him get to free agency. Where do you land on this? Because I'm kind of torn. On the one hand, it feels like all contracts raise the next contract. But on the other hand, Aaron Donald is a special one-of-a-kind player coming off of a Super Bowl win in a unique position with the Rams threatening to retire after just eight seasons if they, in his words, if it's not worth it to him and his family, uh, as he said on the I Am Athlete podcast a couple weeks ago. So what do you think about this Donald contract in relation to Jeffrey Simmons? I'm torn as well because I, I do feel his threats were legitimate, right? And I, I think he was calling out LA like, look, uh, I've made a lot of money. I've got enough money. I'm not going to play unless you rework that deal and blow me away. And I, you know, $95 million blew him away right? as yeah. it should. So, um, but from what I hear, you know, those threats were very much legitimate, right? Like he really would have retired. It sounds like potentially if, um, if, you know, that deal didn't, if they didn't sweeten the pot, right? So to speak. So um, yes and no, I think he's the greatest defensive player of all time. I don't even think that's really up for debate anymore. Truthfully, especially, you know, after winning the Super Bowl, and I mean, he makes the game changing play on fourth down there as well. Like it's so right. Aaron Donald like, right. So greatest defensive player of all time, tough to compare anyone to him. So I don't think that it has a huge impact on Jeffrey Simmons's negotiations. But certainly, uh, I think Jeffrey Simmons reps himself, by the way. I don't even think he has 
an agent, which is really interesting, right? Because that's pretty rare. Lamar Jackson's another guy that reps himself. I always think it's to the detriment of players, by the way. I think it's a huge mistake when they don't have an agent. Okay, they, NFL agents are lawyers, so no player is in a position to appropriately negotiate his own contract. There's, unless they passed the bar, they went to law school, like there's no way you should be negotiating your own contracts. But I believe Jeffrey Simmons self-reps himself. I'm not saying that's certain, but I believe he does. I know Lamar Jackson does. So it'll be interesting to see if that you know plays a role into negotiations as well. And you'll notice Lamar Jackson's deal hasn't been done yet. Right. And the Ravens have been trying to get that done for a while. And for whatever reason, Lamar has shown no sense of urgency in, in getting that done. So be interesting to see how that plays out for Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, but uh, I'm with you. I'm 50 50 on whether or not uh, the Donald uh, contract has a big impact on the Simmons negotiations. Right. It's something you wrote about a couple of months ago, even is is um, DeForest Buckner's deal and how that might impact Jeffrey Simmons. He signed a four year, eighty four million dollar contract. And I kind of agree with you. I think that that is maybe the benchmark that Jeffrey Simmons is looking to surpass here. I mean, Aaron Donald, age 31, Jeffrey Simmons is only 24. So there's some comparisons to be made there where it's like, well, this much older player got this much money. Why shouldn't a much younger player who maybe isn't quite on the same level, but still among the best defensive tackles in the league? Why shouldn't he be paid the same amount? But $31 million a year is just astronomically high. I mean, that that is absolutely crazy so we'll see where this lands and we'll see when it happens I, I tend to think it might happen sooner rather than later because you know the longer you wait the more other deals get signed and the more the price tag could be pushed up but yeah I think that what you wrote for Music City Miracles back in March about DeForest Buckner is a pretty good little benchmark for Simmons to to look at uh, I would agree well again we'll see I mean look if Simmons uh you know and again I do believe he reps himself uh, players aren't always the most logical, right? Like he, he could look at that Aaron Donald contract and be like, nope, that's what I want. Like, that's what I'm worth. That's what I think I am. And that's the market. So that's what I want. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out again. Uh, if it follows the Lamar Jackson path, it can get interesting because I'm not quite sure what Lamar's waiting for to sign a contract, especially the way he plays the game, right? The physical aspect of it. And we, as we all know in this league, right? One torn ACL, especially how much he leans on that skill set. Uh, you know, things are always changing. So it'll be really interesting to see how this Simmons stuff plays out. Yep. All right. Let's move forward now with the show into our power rankings. We got eight position groups here, four on offense, four on defense, the obvious groups. I'm just going to tell you all what they are now because we divided them sort of not necessarily absolutely traditional, but, but it's our quarter... show. Yeah. We can do what we want. We get to do anything we want on this show. Episode 102, by the way. Thanks for listening out there. So we got the quarterbacks, the running backs, the pass catchers. We're grouping wide receiver and tight end into one group here because we can do whatever we want. And offensive line. And then on the defensive side of the ball, we've we've grouped it into front four. So we're going to put the pass rush and the interior D line together into a category called front four. We got linebackers. We got cornerbacks. And we got safeties. So those are the eight groups we're working with here. We're going to power rank them now from weakest to strongest. We don't necessarily agree on all of our power rankings, but I do think we agree that the eighth best group, so the weakest group, is the – it's hard for me. Is it the O-line <laughs> or is it the pass catchers? Because I think if it's just wide receivers, it's easily the, that group. But when you throw Austin Hooper into the mix and the tight ends, maybe they surpass your offensive line. But then on the offensive line, you still got – 
Pro Bowl tackle and Taylor Lewan. You got a promising young guard who didn't have a great season, but hoping for a bounce back year in Nate Davis. You got a veteran intelligent center who's among the best centers in the league in Ben Jones. And then you got two major question marks. Whereas with wide receiver, you trade your all-pro stud young wide receiver, but you get Robert Woods coming in, you get Austin Hooper coming in, you drafted a guy, a couple of guys in the first round, in the fifth round. So where where do you land here, eighth and seventh? Is it O-line? Is it wide receiver slash tight end? What do you think? I'm not having as hard of a time as you are with this. Uh, although I will admit I, I could see it changing and, and going you know the other way during the regular season once we find out everything but i'm gonna go comfortably right now go with pass catchers as the worst group i think obviously you know Traylon burks and, and kyle phillips are rookies you don't really know what you're getting there um and, and you won't know right until you're probably multiple weeks into the season right not you can't even say you know after week two or three i think you gotta go at least four or five games right before you really feel comfortable with the evaluation of the receivers there robert woods i know all the reports coming out are, are great uh with the acl but he's still coming off a torn acl uh and titans let's be honest i, I hate to do this but i i, I say it half jokingly but uh, I really hope Robert Woods doesn't join uh, Randy Moss, Andre Johnson, Julio Jones, where they get this, you know, really good receiver, but on the wrong side of 30 and no one ever remembers he played for the tight. So I don't think that's going to be the case with Robert Woods. I like Robert Woods, but I, I have to see it, right? Especially off the ACL. Right. So a lot of question marks at receiver there. Tight end, I, I do really like the Austin Hooper pickup for sure. But again, everything else behind there, not a big Jeff Swain guy. I, I love the draft pick, the Maryland kid, uh, Chigo Quanco. But again, rookie, you know, late round pick, uh, we'll see, right, blocking and everything still very much a work in progress. Don't know how early he'll get on the field. Uh, even in two tight end sets, we know they like Jeff Swain. They paid Jeff Swain tight end two money. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. I'm pretty comfortably here going pass catching number eight. And I'll just go into O-line really quick, maybe, before you, uh, if you have something to say. The reason I feel more comfortable with the offensive line, I think, is pretty straightforward. Uh, put it this way. If you were grouping all of these players, and this is kind of how I did it in my mind, uh, I think Taylor Lewan and Ben Jones, for me, would probably rank one and two. Right? Like, I am really comfortable, and that's what makes a difference here. I'm really comfortable with Ben Jones. Right? He's one of the best centers in the NFL. I understand Lewan didn't have the greatest year last year, but I thought it looked a lot better towards the end of the year. And I think now a year fully removed off the ACL, I think he's really going to have a really great year this year. Not to mention, let's be honest, all athletes, little extra motivation never hurt anybody. Right? He's got no uh, guaranteed money, I think, on his deal following this year. So they can move on from him next year. He want, he, he's aware of that, right? He, he knows it. His agent knows it. He wants to at least make that a really tough decision for them, right? And, and earn the rest of his contract, make all that money that they still could pay him. So I think I keep saying it. I stick by it. I think Taylor Lewan's going to have a really good season in 2022. So I'm comfortably going. Oh, I, I mean, I still have them number seven. And that's, I agree with you with the holes that the question marks that left guard and right tackle. But I do feel more comfortable with this group than I do the pass catchers. Yeah, I think ultimately I agree with you. I mean, Taylor Lewan is a bona fide stud left tackle. And yes, he's had some struggles and some injuries, but even with that said, like he still is a great player that ever, most, I mean, most NFL teams would take Taylor Lewan over their starting left tackle in a heartbeat. There's only a handful of teams that wouldn't. So I agree there and that he's better. Like if you're just comparing them group to group, he's better than Robert Woods is at receiver, right? And he, he makes yeah, him more comfortable. Right. Even if I went through every team starting left tackle, and we're obviously not going to do that, but I would be shocked. Like Luan's, Lu, Luan's floor, I imagine, is what, like 15, right? Like he's at least – 
top 15 and he's probably closer to like 10 to 12. I, I would yeah, assume maybe, if I went maybe it even all, higher, so. just maybe even higher, just because like O line is an ugly, ugly prospect right now across the <laughs> across the league. Um, There's some so young move- guys that have really stepped in, right? I, I think that for me, like I, I think of the you know the the kid in Los Angeles is on you know incredible Rashawn Slater. I, I think right. Suell was playing right tackle, I think actually, so I guess he wouldn't count, but uh, I would imagine he's somewhere in the 10 to 12 range. Yeah, maybe even a little bit higher. All right. The next group I have here at sixth, I had a little bit of a tough time placing because I like this position group a lot. And I think putting this group at six speaks more to the strengths of the rest of the roster than it does to any weaknesses here. Um, But compared to the rest of the league, I mean, it's tough. I'll just say it. It's quarterbacks, right? Ryan Tannehill, Malik Willis, Logan Woodside. Now, I don't know how great you would feel about QB2 right now in June. Um, Logan Woodside, obviously not anything that any other team has ever wanted. He's been on and off the Titans practice squad. He spent last year as the primary backup, but didn't have to see really any game action um, outside of when the Titans wanted to have him take a knee or whatever. And then you got the rookie in Malik Willis, who is a raw prospect with a lot of potential and a lot of athleticism, but who knows how he's really going to be as a passer in the NFL. And then you got Ryan Tannehill, who's been, since his arrival in Tennessee, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL beat Patrick Mahomes, beat Josh Allen head-to-head, beat Matt Stafford head-to-head. I mean, he's beat a lot of great quarterbacks, but if you're ranking AFC quarterbacks, it's tough to put him in the top eight. So it's tough. Where does Ryan Tannehill slot in? He's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. I have the quarterbacks as a whole sixth on the Titans uh, because I feel pretty great about most of the other position groups on this roster. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I've got quarterback at six as well. It, it was a little tough for me. I think six, five, and four, to be honest, four through six for me. I can move around a little bit, but ultimately, I'm going to go six. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty much exclusively ranking this as, as a Ryan Tannehill ranking, right? Like yeah. Quarterback two and three should never see the field, right? So I'm going to pretend like they don't really matter and shouldn't have a huge impact on this ranking. When it comes to quarterback, it's all about your starting quarterback, right? So sure. uh, I'm, I'm going to agree with, with that at six. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the playoff game left a, a really bad taste in everyone's mouth, Tannehill included, right? He, he went to therapy to get over it. He said, obviously, he took it extremely seriously, took it hard. Um, but it was what it was. It wasn't good, right? And, and that that hurt this fan base a lot, for sure. And when higher expectations as the one seed thought they were really going to make a run, had home field advantage all the way up to the Super Bowl, right? So uh, I'm going to agree with quarterback at six. Tannehill has a lot to prove in 2022. And um, everyone, you know, thinks he's not going to be their quarterback in 2023, right? Like that's kind of how low everyone is on him right now, right? Everyone sees they're ready to hand the keys over to Malik Willis, right? Before he's taking a snap for 2023, at least the the fan base is. So a lot to prove in 2022. I I think it would take um, considerably better performances in 2022 for him to make the roster in 2023, right? Like if Tannehill goes there, out out there, and and it, it looks a lot like 2021 did, then I think they probably are cutting him and moving on. Yeah, I think the fate of the Titans is going to be dependent on whether we get 2019 Tannehill or 2021 Tannehill. Absolutely. And if you get if you get 2019 Tannehill, this team has a chance to be one of the best teams in the league. If you get 2021 Tannehill, they're going to be competing for a playoff spot, you hope, you know? So Yeah, like they they could miss the playoffs truthfully, right? If they get yeah. last year's version uh, of Tannehill potentially. So, and think about it, the wild card race is going to be super tough this year, right? With the, how loaded the AFC is. So 
I think that pretty much says it, right? Like if they get 2019 Tannehill, I'll almost guarantee you he's on the roster in 2023, right? Like he defies everyone's expectations and what they think is going to happen. And he's back, right? Because he was really good in 2019. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. But I think we're on the same page here that it should be number six. And one thing that brings up even more concern for me about this is that our seven and eighth position groups are the two primary factors that will either help or offense. hurt Tannehill the most. It's yeah. all offense. It's his protection, yeah. protection and his pass catchers we have as the worst position groups on the team. So we really <laughs> need Tannehill to step up and elevate those guys or else it's going to be a struggle to watch the offense. That said, I think the defense is pretty comfortably set. We haven't touched a defensive position group yet, which speaks to how strong that side of the ball is. But let's get to one now at fifth. I think we're going to differ here. I have the linebackers at fifth, and uh, I got the cornerbacks at fourth. Where, where do you come down there? Yeah, this is probably the hardest debate I've had, to be honest with you. I'm not just saying that. Um, I'm not just a showman for our listeners, but, uh, this is the hardest one for me. I do slightly disagree with you. I'm going to go corners five and linebackers four. Now, do you want to go first or do you want me to explain my line of thinking? You can go first. Uh, I think the main reason I have corners at five is the question mark at corner two, right? Like they, they cut Jackrabbit Jenkins in the off season, the salary cap casualty, and uh, you don't really know what you have there. Again, this is tough for me because I love Christian Fulton. I love Christian Fulton. I really like Elijah Molden. And I like Chris Jackson and Buster Screen. I think they're very good depth pieces. So I like this group overall. Um, but the question at corner two for me, yeah, the question at cornerback two for me um, gives me a little pause, right? We think it's going to be Caleb Farley. Haven't really seen him play in the NFL. Don't, you know, remember he had that one series against Jacksonville where he kind of got torn up a little bit, right? I think it was that second Jacksonville game. Yeah, certainly. Or he got torn up a little bit. Um, Had the torn ACL against Buffalo. It was probably the first Jacksonville game, actually, excuse me, because he tore his ACL like week six or seven against Buffalo. So it was the first Jacksonville game where he kind of started seeing his first action. They went after him a little bit. I think he got beat for a touchdown uh, in that game on a a route that really froze him near the red zone, but or near the end zone, that is. Uh, But the question at corner two for me, and I look, I still have faith in Farley. Don't get me wrong, but it's an unknown, right? We, we don't know. So, and I love Roger McCreary. I forgot to touch on him there for a second, but I'm a big fan, but of course he's a rookie. So you never know. And we'll see how much playing time he can even earn. Right. Um, To start off. So the question at corner two for me has me a bit more comfortable with the linebackers, David Long, uh, Zach Cunningham. I mean, we got to see them towards the end of the year. Obviously, Cunningham came in a little later, but they looked really good together. They quickly uh, became this this team's best tandem at linebacker, easily leaving Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown in the dust and on the bench. Uh, Monty Rice, you know, is a sophomore. We'll, we'll see how that goes. He's your linebacker three. Don't get me wrong. I still have a bit of a question here. I, I worry about coverage. Uh, with these two guys, with Long and Cunningham, I, I don't know that they're going to thrive in coverage. Cunningham has almost never been a coverage guy, so he won't be on the field for that. So we'll see how they approach that. They they could take both of them off maybe and put on you know an extra DB. So we don't know how that's going to play out. But because I feel so good about Long and Cunningham um, as your at least as a two down tandem, uh, and I've got that question about corner two, I'm slightly leaning linebacker here. And I'll say the reason I have cornerback above linebacker is exactly what you touched on there, the coverage issue. I think Zach Cunningham played like two or three third down snaps for the Titans last year, or maybe even less than that. Something No Flags Film had the uh, stat. James Foster had the stat on it. I don't remember exactly, but he doesn't play on third down really. 
And can these linebackers cover well in today's NFL with the big pass catching tight ends and big slot, fast slot receivers? I mean, you need your linebackers to at least be serviceable in coverage. And while cornerback two is a huge question mark, I feel like the reports out of training camp, or not training camp, out of OTAs and just everything we've seen this spring about Caleb Farley being light years ahead of where he was last year, in addition to the pick of Roger McCreary, in addition to you got Chris Jackson and Buster Screen still there, that I feel like as a group... You didn't even mention Molden, I don't think. I didn't even mention Molden because he's not a concern for me at all. I think he's going to be a great little slot corner or hybrid safety Dane Crookshank type of role that we saw last year who's no longer with the team. So... I feel like they're going to find somebody to play that that jackrabbit position, even if we don't know who it is yet. And, and yes, there are question marks, but I feel slightly better about that than I do about who the third down linebackers are going to be. Is Monty Rice ready to contribute in a meaningful way? We'll find out. But and he, he wasn't a big why. coverage guy really at, at Georgia no. either. So that, that's right. a fair concern. And I, I do agree with you that I'd be surprised if between Caleb Farley, Buster Screen, and even Roger McCreary, who I think can exactly. play outside, Chris Jackson, I'd be pretty surprised if they don't end up getting good play from cornerback two. We don't know who it is, but I, I feel, it, you know, of course, it's probably leaning Farley, but uh, I do agree with you. Between those four guys, you probably find a solution. Right. All right, moving on to our third best group. I have as the running backs. You got King Henry coming back off his major foot injury. It would be different if he didn't play at all, I don't think, last year. But we saw him play in the playoffs, not at his best, but handled a pretty big workload and uh, has already been posting workout videos and stuff. So I don't have really any concerns about Derrick Henry. You add uh, Hassan Haskins in the draft. You bring back Dontrell Hilliard, who's a great third down back. And I feel pretty good about the running back group. I definitely think it's the best group of offensive group that they have by far. And uh, team leader in Derrick Henry, but um, only as high as third. What do you think? This is probably where I'll disagree with you the most. Um, I mean, it's Derrick Henry, right? Like, it's the king, man. Like, I'm, I'm putting running backs number two. And I know I'm only bumping them one spot above you. But I just feel so good about Derrick Henry. I know he had the injury. I know he's getting older, the workloads, yada, yada. But I think Henry's going to come back. And, and I hope they don't run him into the ground. You know, I, I don't I don't want him to be on pace for 400 touches, yada, yada. But uh, like he was last year, I think, at one point. But uh, I, I feel so good about the King. I mean, this guy's a superstar. He's still the best running back in the NFL, in my opinion. I think he's going to come back. I think he's going to stay healthy. I think he's going to have an unbelievable year. Um, I, I say no less than like 1,800 yards for Derrick Henry. Like, I, I think he's going to be unbelievable. And I love Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker, so I can understand your line of thinking. But I, I just, it's Derrick Henry. I, I can't. Yeah, you know, I just can't do it. I can't put this position group at number three. And on top of that, I will say, um, I question the depth at safety a little bit, right? I don't really know what you have behind Kevin Byard and Imani Hooker. You, you signed the special teams ace from the Texans. We don't, we don't know anything about him. A.J. Moore, I believe his name is. We'll see how that plays out. You dra- I like Theo Jackson, the rookie out of Tennessee. He told me personally that they have him focusing on safety, so I'm going to project him as a safety, right? Even though I think he played a little corner uh, for the Vols. He's a safety. Uh, I, I like what we're hearing, but of course, this is a day three rookie. We'll see, right? But the depth at safety right now is highly questionable for me. And, and even though I love Kevin Byron and Imani Hooker, even if I focused on just the two of them, I'm still taking the king. So I got running backs number two, uh, safeties number three. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker are two of the best safeties, 
Now, obviously, PFF grades are to be taken with a grain of salt, but last year, Kevin Byard was PFF's number one graded safety, and Imani Hooker was number three. And at one point, midway through November, they were one and two. And um, they're the only safety duo in the NFL with two top 10 grades besides the Bills. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde was the other duo that was just really highly rated by Pro Football Focus. So I'm not basing everything off that. It's also eye test and stats and uh, all pro nod, which Kevin Byard received again last year. So I, I just feel like this safety duo is so good. They were close to being the top position group for me on this team team leader in Kevin Byard, and um, I just have no question marks about the top two guys. Now, your concerns about depth are very much warranted. Who knows what it looks like if one of those guys gets hurt or even just has to come out, but we know Kevin Byard has played 99.9% of defensive snaps for the Titans, and Amani Hooker was doing that as well when he was playing uh, as a starter last year. So I think that this duo is so good that even though King Henry is the king and he's like – when you look around the league and you say, is Derrick Henry the best running back in the NFL? And a, a lot of people would say yes. Some people might say he's second or third best because of his pass catching, not non-ability. What do we, not, pass catching uh, concerns? What do we, what do you say there? Uh, it's catching. a bit of a weakness of his game. So yeah. there's no Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara, right. right? Exactly. So for that reason, Kevin Byron and Imani Hooker, I feel like they don't have weaknesses. Like they can both cover, they can both play zone. They can both come up in the box cover man-to-man like these this is an amazing duo the titans are lucky to have them monty hooker also in a contract year so david long for... in a contract year too that's true that whole 2019 draft class is uh hey, davis yeah we can go yeah. on and on so that's where we have um the safeties and the running backs i got them two and three you got them two and three just in a slightly different order finishing up with our top ranked group here i don't think anyone would argue this it's the front four, the Titans front four, the Tennessee Tickle Monsters. Some people don't like that nickname. <laughs> Screw you if you don't. Um, sorry, just kidding. Thanks for listening to the podcast, even if you don't like the name. Uh, no, but the front four, ferocious. I mean, and this can be any, like, this is not just necessarily four guys, but it's the front four that's on the field, which I think is going to be yes. six guys deep, maybe even more, um, who have meaningful meaningful roles on the defensive line. And the best four would be, obviously, Harold Landry, Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Autry, Bud Dupree. But then you rotate Tier Tart in there. You rotate the new free agent signing to Marcus Walker. You got Ola Adaini, who can provide some pass rush juice off the bench. A healthy who, who Rashad Weaver. Rashad Weaver coming back. I'm, I'm missing two, the interior uh, Sorry, guy. Uh, step oh, forward for Naquan Jones. Naquan Jones, I didn't even mention, yeah. Like, I, I mean, we're in full agreement here, and I think anyone would be crazy to, to disagree. Like, you had three guys that could get after the, the quarterback so consistently last year, Harold Landry, Jeffrey Simmons, and uh, and Dina Kowatri, right? Did they all get double-digit sacks? I think they were – I think they did. Or they one were of them, close. It was like yeah, eight, like nine and, eight and a half, half, maybe nine yeah. for one of them. But, like, these guys, these three guys are are, are, are are so damn good. And then you had Bud Dupree, who – they keep in mind, Bud Dupree's sack numbers weren't great. And I wrote about this for the Draft Network. They were so much more productive as a pass rusher unit with Bud Dupree on the field as opposed to him off the field. When he missed those couple of games early in the year because the knee was swelling up and bothering them, they weren't as good. Like, Bud Dupree demanded – a lot of attention, recorded a lot of pressures, helped them win their one-on-one matchups, helped them get one-on-one matchups. Like they were a lot better with Bud Dupree on the field last year, even though he didn't have the 10 plus sacks you kind of wanted him to because the contract they signed him to. But 
Like I said about Luan, a year removed from the ACL for Bud Dupree. I think he's going to have a lot better year in 2022 than he did in 2021. I absolutely love this front four. Jeffrey Simmons is going to keep getting better and better. I expect Harold Landry to keep playing with consistency. The only you know, tiny, teeny question I'd have about the front four, the four that we mentioned, is when does Dina Kowalski, when does father time catch up to Dina Kowalski, right? Because he is getting up there in age. But how, I mean, he was, he was one of the, I would say he's the most underrated member of this defense last year. Like he was incredible, incredible last season. So until father time officially catches up to him, I'm going to feel good about him. And then, like you said, I love what's coming in behind them. I can't wait to see Rashad Weaver back on the field healthy. I, I know that's a bit of a question mark, but I love him coming out of Pittsburgh. I think he uh, was a really good prospect. I, I, he looks great in preseason, had a good summer training camp preseason, all that until he got hurt. So I feel good about yeah. Rashad Weaver. Love Ola Daney and what he added as a rotational pass rusher. Shocked us all with his abilities way more than a special teams guy and then I could talk for an hour about TR Tart and Naquan Jones I love both of these players I really do like I thought Naquan popped so much late in the year recorded a couple of sacks he's going to keep getting better I promise you you're going to see a better Naquan Jones in 2022 love his potential he eventually Naquan Jones can be the Dinaco Autry of this defense that's how good I feel about Naquan Jones when Autry is no longer here in a few years time T.R. Tart, I thought, was flashed as a UDFA in 2021, strung together a couple of big games, took that desired step forward last year. I thought he was really, really good last season. You'll remember Mike Vrabel named him like an off-season winner heading into the year for the, the camp and, and the summer that he strung together. And I thought we saw that on the field. We saw a really good version of T.R. Tart. So I love Tart. I love Jones. I love the depth this group has. So Marcus Walker, right, they bring in a veteran who – has played in this league, right? Like he's got like 12 or 13 career sacks bounced around a little bit drafted by Denver. They asked him to switch positions, which I went back and did some research. Didn't love that came into Houston, uh, played a little better. Uh, they've are, they're already raving about him right throughout the off season. Jim Wyatt just wrote a story on him. He adds a little depth to this group. So uh, I'm going to stop now because I can keep going on and on, but I absolutely love this group. No questions asked. It's number one. So there you have it. We power ranked the position groups. You should be extremely confident in this Titans team because the defense should be among the best in the league. Again, the front four, the pass rush is going to hide a lot of weaknesses that the secondary may experience. And then you got talented. But there are weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. the secondary is going to be deep, right? Like at least that quarter, like, there's a lot of guys there that can play ball. So yeah. great defense. And then you got the secondary that can cover for those times that the pass rush isn't getting home and give those guys who are relentless a chance to really make an impact and get pressure on the quarterback. I really feel great about the defense. On the offensive side, you know, it's gonna it's all just going to be a, a project to see how it comes together, especially with the offensive line, left guard, right tackle. We still don't know who's playing where, but hey, that clip you tweeted the other day of Jamarco Jones blowing up TJ Watt gives me at least a little bit of confidence in the left guard position there. <laughs> yeah, that, that got a lot of traction on Twitter. I, I, I believe it was, a, was it a pin and pull play. Tennessee doesn't run a lot, a lot of that, I understand. But one thing I noticed there, a, it still shows him in space which I like, right. right? You can kind of quantify that to the outside zone scheme because you see him getting out in space and I think you see the attitude culture fit. I want to talk more about Jamarco Jones, but I'm going to save that until next week because I, I do feel like I'm starting to gain some clarity here on the offensive line and I think I've said some things about him that I'll probably repeat myself a little next week, but I do want to talk about Jamarco Jones at left guard and Dylan Radens at right tackle and, and we'll save that for next week. 
Yeah, let's really dive into position battles next week as OTAs are wrapped up and minicamp begins next Tuesday. No, wait. Ne yeah, next Tuesday, June 14th is when minicamp begins. So that's the same day our next episode comes out. So we will talk about that then. But that's all we got for this episode. Be sure you're checking out broadwaysportsmedia.com as always. Tons of great content there. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. That'll do it for this week's episode, but we will be back next week, just like we always do. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.